This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. A Saturday night get together here on CBS Sports Radio. Johnny Mac hanging in the Rocket Mortgage Studios when you need an expert to help navigate the home loan process. Rocket can. All right, we're going to take that uh, navigation up to upstate New York where they've got a Super Bowl contender, legit, ready to get their season underway. But there's more than that going on up in Buffalo these days. Uh, record-setting quarterback for their young uh, contract for their young quarterback, uh, COVID discrepancy among a couple of their players, and some new stadium posturing going on. Here to break down all of that for us is the guy who covers it day in and day out for the athletic, Matthew Fairburn. Good enough to jump aboard with us for up a couple of minutes. Matt, Jody Mack here. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I know you've been a little bit busy these last couple of days on the topics I just threw out there, and I want to touch base on each and every single one of them with you. But first things first, um, the new quarterback that Josh Allen just just got, uh, the most ever guaranteed money. And this is what happens. The new guy to the table resets the bar, and it might not be Patrick Mahomes' overall money, but guaranteed he actually is numero uno now. Um, know that they've been talking about it for months. Read your article. What was it that put this negotiation over the top and got it done? Yeah, you know, it was kind of going back and forth for a while, and both sides really wanted to get something done, but it was tricky with the salary cap dropping and, you know, a little bit of uncertainty in that regard. It caused a bit of a snag in, you know, bridging the gap between the two sides. But as soon as they got close, as soon as it was, you know, it was clear that they were not too far off. They really wanted to push this thing over the finish line. The Bills wanted to get it done before, you know, the season started. They don't like to negotiate during the year. They wanted to take care of their quarterback heading into his fourth season. They'd seen plenty from him. I mean, Brandon Bean has been planning for this contract since the moment he drafted Josh Allen. So before the salary cap goes up, before, you know, all those numbers come out on what the 2023 salary cap might look like. The Bills tried to get ahead of this, and like you said, of course, it looks like a huge deal. It's record-setting uh, until the next record-setting deal. Uh, it's kind of how these things work. And they got in before Lamar Jackson and before Baker Mayfield. So really, um, you know, I think the timing worked out. And for Josh Allen, hey, why wouldn't you want to sign a deal with that much guaranteed money? And with a structure that gives the Bills a little bit of flexibility to keep some talent around him and and hopefully help him deliver some wins. 
And that's exactly what both sides wanted because, yes, uh, everybody wants as much guaranteed money as possible, and Josh Allen got more than anyone else ever. But as you uh, correctly mentioned, does leave them some flexibility to keep this team as a Super Bowl contender. Uh, the thing that has just floored me about Josh Allen, and I thought he was a very good prospect uh, when he came out and uh, thought the Bills got a decent spot value when they took him in the first round. And, yeah, I liked him over Josh Allen. Those who didn't uh, have now been proving wo- woefully wrong. Uh, and I know Mr. Bean had to uh, deal with those on draft night uh, as to why he took Josh Allen. Josh has proven that you can improve your accuracy. He went from 53% to 59% to 69% last year. Most people believe either you're accurate or you're not, and it's not going to get any better. It probably won't get any worse. Why has he been able to, in your estimation, make this uh, pretty large uh, jump up in completion percentage? Yeah, you know, it it can be a bit of a a cliche to, to say that the guy works hard and he cares about it and he, and he loves the game. You would hope that that's true of every franchise quarterback, but he really does enjoy, you know, the process of getting better at quarterback and studying the position and, and all those things. I also think Brandon Bean would tell you that he wasn't starting from as bad of a place as a lot of people thought he was, you know, the numbers in college weren't great, but when you looked at the talent around him and the, the reason, you know, his completion percentage was so low, the ball placement wasn't always the main issue. It obviously wasn't great, and it wasn't great his first couple of years in the league, but he steadily improved it. He did a lot of work with Jordan Palmer uh, in the off seasons. He still does. And, you know, getting Ken Dorsey in here, being under Brian Dable, I think he's really fine-tuned his mechanics. And look, your completion percentage numbers are going to go up when you're surrounded by guys like Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, John Brown a year ago, has been replaced by Emmanuel Sanders now. Those types of guys are pretty good for your completion percentage numbers. So, you know, it's a credit to Josh Allen for improving his mechanics and and really working at, you know, getting better at that part of the game. And it's a credit to the Bills for surrounding him with the right weapons, but also the right coaches to help maximize his talent and really, you know, allow him to develop the way that he has. You mentioned a couple of names there of guys who had a help in raising Josh's game, uh, one of which I want to ask you about, that's your offense quarterback, Brian Dable, uh, who got a lot of credit for the improved Bills offense, which includes the improved play of your quarterback, and he was thought to be a pretty hot candidate for a head coaching position during this past offseason. Texans, Jets, and Chargers at least all checked in on him. It didn't happen. He ended up staying, and he seemed to be pretty happy that he was staying, but he did talk about the possibility of going elsewhere. Um, did you guys believe that it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be elsewhere, or was it something everybody was sitting on pins and needles during the offseason? Yeah, I think a lot of people expected Brian Dable to get another job. And it's hard to, you don't want to count those, those chickens before they hatch. And I don't think Brian Dable was by any means. It's easy for people to look at, you know, which quarterback improved the most, which offense played the best, you know, find that offensive coordinator and, and give him a job. But the fit always has to be right. I, I thought he was going to get the Chargers job. He has a familiarity with the general manager going back to, uh, they went to the same high school here at the suburban <laughs> Buffalo, but. You know, they decided to go a different direction, and I think once that job fell through, 
Brian Dable knew that he can be a little bit picky because, look, he's coming back to a spot. He grew up here in Buffalo, like I mentioned. He has a quarterback who he absolutely loves working with and who is making him look really damn good as an offensive coordinator. So his thought was, hey, if I'm not getting the job that I absolutely want, I can wait. You know, that, you know, he's betting on himself a little bit to say, I'm going to produce similar results with a lot of similar pieces. And he's going to try to deliver a championship to his hometown team. So it's not a bad spot to be in, but I would expect him to be on, you know, teams' radars entering next offseason as well, especially if this offense, you know, can repeat what it did in 2020. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio, talking Buffalo Bills. And Dable got a lot of uh, credit, and he was a hot coaching candidate. Meanwhile, that head coach he got up there is kind of flying under the radar. He's only made the playoffs three out of the last four years and went to the AFC Championship game last year. Is Sean McDermott okay with being one of the more underrated coaches in the NFL? Yeah, I think he's all right with it. It kind of suits his personality. It it fuels him a little bit. It's the whole mindset of this team. I mean, Sean McDermott is addicted to the idea that he and his players are the underdog, that nobody believes in them. They've found a way to, you know, maintain that underdog status even when they win a ton of games. They find the, the littlest slight or the slightest doubt from anybody and amplify it to use it, you know, as motivation and to form their identity as a team. And so, yeah, if, if you told Sean McDermott that, that he was overlooked as one of the top coaches in the league, he would love it because that, you know, that's the type of guy that he is. Uh, I'm certainly, I'm sure in his heart of hearts, he believes and wants the respect of being one of the best coaches in football but he's perfectly fine when people tell him he's not because it's just another thing for him to add to his motivational toolbox when he wakes up at some ungodly hour in the morning to get in there and get to work on this team. So uh, it, it certainly fits his image very much to be, you know, this this overlooked under the radar coach. And it plays well with the players because if he's thinking he's an underdog, he can certainly sell that kind of mentality to his Buffalo Bills. All right, uh, I know you've been all over this story as well. You mentioned some of the weapons that Josh Allen has, one of which is Cole Beasley, who is one of the preeminent slot receivers in the National Football League. But he's gotten a lot of attention this offseason, not because of what he does on the field, but his stance against getting vaccinated against the COVID virus. And even a debate between he and a teammate kind of went viral. And uh, all National Football League teams are using their debate as to something we don't really want to do. It's not only a Buffalo story, it's a national story. How is it playing out in that locker room? It's playing out okay, frankly. Uh, I I think, you know, it's an... Of course, the idea, the idea of these guys not having a very high vaccination percentage could be an issue for the team at some point. That, I think, is just a reality for anybody in this country that's not vaccinated. You're, you're kind of running that risk. But as far as whether the issue is dividing players or pulling the locker room apart, it's really not. Uh, because a lot of these guys, frankly, there's a pretty big chunk of players that aren't vaccinated. Cole Beasley was the most vocal of the group, but... They were just over 80% at the start of training camp, which puts you at about 20 guys on the 90-man roster that aren't vaccinated, including you know uh, Cole Beasley. And uh, Josh Allen had expressed some hesit- hesitancy about the vaccine earlier in the offseason. 
we don't know whether he ended up getting the shot or not, but the fact that he was, you know, expressing some of that hesitancy tells you that some of these guys are on that that similar wavelength as Cole Beasley. And I, I think the fact that it played out a little publicly was unfortunate, but Jerry Hughes is a guy that everybody in that locker room loves. Those guys hashed it out quickly afterwards. I think the issue that they could run into is whether this is going to, you know, impact, you know, them the availability of these players at any point if it'll cause an outbreak of any sorts, but as far as an issue in the locker room, I wondered that going into camp and, you know, quickly talking to guys kind of realized, you know, they're able to hash this out behind closed doors. It, it's possible that if it starts you know, costing them, you know, games or costing them availability of some players that guys will get frustrated with it. And I know Sean McDermott would prefer all his guys to be vaccinated and as would Brandon Bean, but they're kind of trying to toe that fine line of educating guys, encouraging the vaccine while keeping their players happy and trying to foster an environment where these conversations can continue to be healthy and, you know, not pull guys apart. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, their uh, daily beat build guy, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. Um, uh, information leaked out earlier in the week about the ongoing negotiations between the Bills and uh, all the people up there in western New York about how they would go about financing a new stadium. Um, the one that they have is still great, and they still pack it to the gills, but it needs to be replaced, like all stadiums do, and everyone wants to build the nicest stadium on the face of the planet when they're going to go through with it. And the owner got caught on the record saying, yes, we'd like the whole thing to be paid for by someone else other than us, which is not going to play well. I understand the arguments on both sides. Um, how is it playing in Buffalo with the fan base up there when something like a name gets leaked out as a possible uh, relocation outlet like Austin, Texas? How's that playing up in Buffalo? Yeah, it's not playing great. Um, you know, so that's a, it's unfair to the fans up here who have feared that exact reality for so long. They were told LA, they were told Toronto would be potential spots. And they thought when the Pagoulas bought the team that they would be done with those conversations, that the Bills were not going to be in the conversation for relocation anymore. And how realistic a relocation is, is still, you know, unclear. I, I think, like you said, the Pagoulas have a pretty aggressive ask as their opening offer uh, in this whole bargain, but there's a long way to go, and a lot would have to happen for them to pick the team up and move. They're somewhat invested in this community. Some of their business holdings they, they've pulled out uh, in the hospitality industry, but they still own the hockey team here in town. They have some ties to Western New York. I think they care enough about the fans here and enough about the community. They know the importance the Bills have to this region. But Terry Pagula is very friendly with Stan Kroenke. It's one of the guys that, that he hangs with most at, at these ownership events. And they're not doing as well financially as maybe they were you know, when they had originally bought the Bills because they make a lot of their money in oil and gas, and it was a tough year for that. So, you know, if they thought they could make more money elsewhere and the, the state took a really hard line in these negotiations, it's possible it could go sideways. But I'm still sitting here uh, thinking that it's unrealistic that, that the bills are going to move. And I don't know that 
Austin is a super realistic boogeyman the way that Los Angeles, Las Vegas were, you know, for so many years. So we'll see how it plays out, but I, I don't think people need to panic just yet. Two more quickies for you, one on the stadium, one elsewhere. Uh, on the stadium, you mentioned the fact that the Pagulas own both the Bills and the Sabres. Can those two be separated? I know they're trying to talk about new uh, arenas, venues for both teams, and uh, they are in different positions, different places, but the Pagulas are trying to uh, join the two and tie them together. Could one of the two teams meet, uh, leave, and the other one take? Or would this be the kind of negotiation? If it's going south, you better be ready to move both because uh, you're going to be dealing with a lot of the same people. You tick them off on one side, they're not going to be willing to uh, meet you in the middle on the other. How tied are the Bills and Sabres negotiations to each other? They are in the sense that you can't own teams in different leagues unless they're in the same city. So if you're going to move one, you have to either transfer ownership to you know one of their kids, or they have to sell the Sabers if they're going to move the Bills. So I don't think the Sabers are going anywhere uh, as far as Buffalo is concerned. There's probably a lot of people that would like them to sell the Sabers the way that they've been performing uh, over the last decade plus. But yeah, they are very much tied in this. I don't know how tied they'll be in terms of the money that they'll eventually get from the state, assuming they get some. I know they want that because you know they tried to slip that in there. Uh, you know, what's 1.5 billion, you know, what's an extra, you know, 0.4 billion when you're, when you're asking for a bunch of money, but yeah, they are tied in the sense that, you know, ownership wise, they, they have to, you know, be in the same city if they're going to own both. All right. And last one for you. I like the story you told about uh, your coach loving to play the underdog card. And I gave him the right to do so. Cause I think he's one of the more underrated coaches in the NFL but he can't really sell that they're the underdog in the AFC East, can he? He went 13-3, and three and you uh, distanced yourself from Miami and you saw the Patriots fall under five hundred for the first time, and the Jets are just beginning a rebuilding process. He can't really think that he can sell the fact that, ooh, they're in competition in their division, can he? Maybe not in the division, but, but they've got bigger goals. So, you know, they'll talk about how much money the Patriots spent and and how much people are talking about the Patriots or what people are saying about how good the Dolphins are or how much better the Jets got. And he'll find a way to twist that, but mostly he'll probably use that AFC championship game. He'll use the Chiefs. He'll use the Buccaneers to remind these guys that those are the teams that everybody is picking. And he'll find the person that didn't pick them to win the AFC East and he'll put that guy on the billboard. He'll find the person that that picked, you know, the Bills to be the disappointing team of the year and he'll put that tweet or that article in everybody's lockers. He will find a way. Uh, I think I I wondered about this a few years ago when they started to get good. How could they play the nobody believes in us card? Man, do they ever find a way. If if 10 out of 13 <laughs> experts pick the Bills to win a game, they're going to walk off the field saying nobody believed in them because three people said, you know, that, that they wouldn't win. And, and that's just how they are. It's probably because a lot of these guys, coaches, players, uh, a lot of them were discounted at one point, fired, cut, traded, told they weren't good enough. It's kind of the, the origin story of a lot of these players, and, and they really embrace it as a collective group. So uh, you'd be surprised. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure Sean McDermott will find a way to to maintain the underdog status. 
Coach does have to prove that he can get past his former boss, that Andy Reid guy and his Chiefs at some point. Uh, if he does that this year, then I'm sorry. He's, he's just out of underdog stories. But it'll be fun to watch him try uh, going forward after that. It was fun talking to you today. Appreciate it much, Matthew. Uh, enjoy your work. Uh, keep up the good work and uh, enjoy your upcoming season. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Great chatting with you. My pleasure. Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic covering the Buffalo Bills, who are a legit Super Bowl contender this year. If you were ranking the teams in the AFC before everything got started, I think you have to go Kansas City and the Buffalo. They were the top two last year, and they seem to be the top two on paper right now. We are not on the paper. We are in the airwaves. And I need your help on my telephone lines. 855-212-4227. Jody Mack here with you on CBS Sports Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.